Good morning. Y'all sound great. Morning. How's everybody doing? Great. I'm Mike, if you don't know me. A lot of you know me. And we're in the middle of a sermon series called The Eyes of Faith, Seeing Everything from God's Perspective. I don't know if you guys can tell, but I am really excited today. I'm really excited to be up here because Tim asked me to talk about giants, becoming a person of greater faith. Um, The high school boys know this about me. I love stories in the Bible. I will tell stories in the Bible and I get jazzed about telling Bible stories. And some of my favorite stories involve giants in the Bible. It's so cool. Did you know there's giants in the Bible? Sorry, Andy, I am talking really fast. (laughs) this is coffee Ah. there are giants in the bible and today we're going to look at two separate stories where there are giants in the bible and we're going to talk about becoming a person of greater faith in your bulletin there's a set of notes if you want to follow along um, we'll get to those in a minute but I I thought as we're talking about these giants, it'd be good to just read the stories, right? What's wrong with reading the Bible in church? Um, when I think of giants, I think of movies. So there's like the Lord of the Rings. There's like ogres and ants and just hulking masses of monsters. They're awesome, right? I think of things like that. I have friends who play d and I've never actually played a D&D thing myself, but there's a guy that works with me who'd be like, you love D&D. You're like a Goliath. And I'm like, like the gargoyle? He's like, he goes, what? I go, gosh, you're young. Um, but I think of, yeah, side note, we had a guy start this week who's 18. He is literally 20 years younger than me. Oh my gosh, I just realized what that felt like. All of you people older than me, I am sorry. (laughs) But when I think of giants, I, I was trying to think of a metaphor or an object lesson to think of giants, and this is what I came up with. Well, I didn't come up with it, God gave it to me. But like, I think of shoes. Have you ever seen Brandon Louvier's shoes? Steph, I know you have. Many times. They're huge, right? And have you ever seen Brandon carrying his daughter? I mean, she's small. I'll give her that. But she looks beady beady when he's holding her. And she's so cute because she ain't afraid of him. It's it's hilarious. She's like, no! And he... But I think of shoes. So I put some shoes up here, right? Because I don't know how many of you have actually seen size 16 shoes before. They're rather large. And they're expensive, so don't steal my shoes. Um, but I think of giants, I think of their shoes, because that's just where my brain goes. I don't know why, but I figured I'd put some shoes up here so you guys could see what it looks like to stand in awe of a giant. Because these shoes, the giant is intimidating, and it's kind of dirty, and it's it's jacked up, and it uh, people are afraid of giants for reasons. Because they're big, and they're intimidating, and they're scary. So I'm going to leave these up here while we're talking today. So as we're talking about giants, think about what it would be like to stand in the shadow of this giant. Let's read in the book of Numbers, chapter 13, verses 27 through 28 and 31 through 33. 
And what's going on here is Moses had sent 12 spies into the land of Canaan to scout it out. And the spies have come back and they're giving their report. And it says, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. Anak was a giant. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those who live in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. You see... Out of the 12 spies that went into the land of Canaan, only two came back with good news. Joshua and Caleb. By the way, they're the only two we remember their names. Just putting that out there. Another story later on in the scripture in 1 Samuel is one that you probably all know really well. It's the story of David and Goliath. And in 1 Samuel chapter 17, it says this. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Soka in Judah and Azekah at Ephes Damim. Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore a bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and as thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? He called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Now David was the son of a man named Jesse, an Ephrathite from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man at the time, and he had eight sons. Jesse's three oldest sons, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shemaiah, had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. David was the youngest son. David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army, but David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. 
One day, Jesse said to David, Take this basket of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these ten cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they are doing. David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army at the Valley of Allah fighting against the Philistines. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon, the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant? The men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife. And the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. Wouldn't that be awesome? David asked the soldiers standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And these men gave David the same answer, same reply. They said, yes, that is the reward for killing him. But when David's oldest brother Eliab heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing here anyway? He demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. What have I done? David replied. I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others and asking them the same thing, he received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul and the king sent for him. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go find him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There is no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club, and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he'd never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into a shepherd's bag. Then, armed with only a shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out towards David with his shield-bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? 
And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, You come at me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel." And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with a sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into a shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over, pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph and rushed after the Philistines, chasing them as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. The bodies of the dead and wounded Philistines were strewn all along the road from Sharaim as far as Gath and Ekron. That's a big chapter. Not because we read a lot, but because a lot happened. That's one of my favorite chapters of all the Bible. Um, If you're a little kid, you know this story. You don't necessarily know that David then climbs on Goliath, pulls out his sword, and cuts off his head, but you know the story. (laughs) And the thing I see as I read these passages, both with Joshua and Caleb and with David, the giants that they faced were not the big people in front of them. Goliath was not the giant that David had to face. I mean, he was a giant he had faced, but not the giant. And and the descendants of Anak, the, the Nephilim, and you, that's a whole other discussion. If you want to find out what that is, I'm still learning about it. But these big people living in Canaan, they're not necessarily the giants that the Israelites had to overcome. What I see in these two passages is the giants that we have to overcome and they had to overcome were their doubts. Whether or not they could do what God was telling them they could do. So today, we're going to talk about facing our giants. You could just say facing our doubts and becoming a person of greater faith. Because all of us have giants to face. All of us have doubts to overcome. And real quick, the first first side of your notes, where do our doubts come from? Um, the, the four blanks, this is just me. I'm just talking about me. Where do my doubts come from? And I hope it applies to you guys. I think it does. I, I'm pretty sure they're universal. But for me, where do my doubts come from? Number one, my doubts come my, from my fear of failure. Cassie and I have discussions about me all the time um, because sometimes, and I'm going to say this, and y'all are going to understand what I'm going to say, but it's kind of cryptic. Sometimes I'm Mike D. Right? Sometimes you're filling your name. And there's an arrogance, right? And I prop myself up and I make it look like I can't fail. But I'm terrified of failing. 
And so were these people in these stories. Numbers 13, 31 through 33. The other men who explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread a bad report among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there. The descendants of Anak. Next to them we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. They're afraid of failing. In Samuel, Goliath is talking in 17, 10 through 11. It says, he said, I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Goliath was taunting them for 40 days. Later on, we're going to talk about some fighters in Israel. I know for a fact in Israel, there were men who could have taken Goliath. Some of Saul's army could have taken Goliath on a one-on-one fight. They could have done it, but they were afraid of failing. Because one, they lose their life. Two, they lose the country loses its freedom. Nobody went out there. No one. And along comes this ruddy-faced little 15-year-old dirty punk kid. Right? Aslan Mariolis versus Brandon Louvier. No offense, Aslan. You, you would last a few minutes. You have some skill. But done. They're terrified to go do this. These grown butt men are terrified to do this. What are you afraid of failing in? You see, when I fear failing, I'm relying on Mike D. I'm relying on me to get it done. I'm not relying on God. I'm not relying on the people God has put around me. I'm relying on me. And I suck. In 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. I love that sound judgment. I make smart decisions because of God. God doesn't want us to live in fear of our doubt. And what holds me back is when I'm doubting that this giant in my life This doubt in my life is my fear of failing. I don't think I can take down Goliath. Something else in my life that uh, holds me back that I doubt. I doubt when I rely on, or my insecurity makes me doubt. There are things I'm insecure in. There are things I get anxious about. Trying something new. Starting a new adventure. I, I'm, I'm excited for Mary. I'm excited for Mary. Mary's starting a new adventure in life. Virginia, right? Virginia. That's a great movie too. Uh, but I would be in, I, 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 starting something new is scary. I have insecurity. First Samuel 17, 8 through 9, Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? He called. I am the Philistine champion, but you're only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill you, 
you will be our slaves. Can you understand their insecurity and uncertainty that they're feeling when Goliath is yelling at them? Again, he's calling for a one-on-one battle. He's been a, a warrior since he was little. Did you catch the stuff that he's got? Like his mail weighs 125 pounds. That's like walking around with another person on you. His spearhead, just the spearhead, weighed 15 pounds. That's two jugs of milk. This dude's just walking around. And I don't even know what a weaver's rod is. I'm sure it's huge. I'm like, it's a big dude. He's nine feet tall. And if you look at the Israelites when they're going in, as, as the spies come back, talking about Canaan, I can understand their insecurity. They're talking about these giant people walking around. And the idea that the land devours those who live in it, that's terrifying. I get the uncertainty. But again, who are they relying on? Who am I, what am I relying on when I feel uncertain, when I feel insecure? What gives me that insecurity? There are things I have to lay at the foot of Jesus every day so I can trust him more every day. So my doubts come from my fear of failing. They come from my, from my insecurity. For me, they also come from my forgetfulness. Again, talk to my wife. Ask her how ironclad my memory is. Hey, babe, will you take out this pizza box? Yeah, I'll take it out. Eight hours later, will you take out this pizza box? Yep, I will take it out. Next day, did you take out that pizza box? Probably not. Totally forgot. But that's, that's simple and cute. God gives us a lot, a lot of promises in scripture. A lot of things he promises us that I forget a lot. You know, the, before the spies went into Canaan, God promised them something about Canaan. It's in the book of Leviticus. And in Leviticus 20, 24, that's not the promise, but it's, it's good. In Leviticus 20, 24, it says, I have promised you, you will possess their land because I will give it to you as a possession, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has set you apart from all other people. You see those spies that came back, they said it was flowing with milk and honey. They remembered that part. They remember God promised that it was a land flowing with milk and honey. But what they forgot is that first part where it says you will possess their land because I will give it to you as your possession. Joshua and Caleb remembered that. Those other ten didn't. There are things I forget that cause doubt in my life. I forget God's promises for me. I forget what God has done for me. And that's when my doubt comes into play. So my doubt comes from my, fa- my fear of failure, my insecurity, my forgetfulness. It also comes from my faithless companions. Pull up that next passage, please. This was their report to Moses. Mind you, I'm going to be reading the same passages a lot 
just so it just sinks in. This was the report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. But the other men who had explored this land disagreed with him. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. I keep leaving out 29 and 30 on purpose, just so you all realize that, because 29 and 30 are Joshua and Caleb talking. Well, Caleb talking. You see, these guys don't have the faith that God has already given them this land. The Israelites hear 10 men talking and they don't hear the other two. And they spread a rumor throughout all the Israelites that they could not take this land. You know, David had faithless people around him too. His brother was like, what are you even doing here? Why aren't you back with those few sheep? Belittled him. You just want to see the battle. Didn't even bring up the fact his dad sent him with food. And then Saul even doubted David, which, to be fair, a 15-year-old boy walks up to the king and says, I can take out a giant. I would be a little skeptical too. But Saul doubted him. Jesus had it too. Jesus was surrounded by Pharisees all the time. They were just dogging him. And they're supposed to be the people who understood that he was the Messiah. And even Jesus' disciples doubted him. Who surrounds you? Who is surrounding you? Do you have faithless companions around you? These are just four areas in my life that my doubt come from. My fear of failing, my insecurity, my forgetfulness, my faithless companions. These are areas in my life I've had to work on. If I want to become a person of greater faith, God will develop me into a person of greater faith. God can develop you. If you want to build your faith, your trust in God, He wants to help you. He wants to give you a deeper faith. But how? How does, how's God going to develop a deep, make you into a person of greater faith? There's three things I have here that have helped me over the past however many years, 15, 20 years, whatever, that helped me become a person of greater faith. Whenever I doubted, this is what I did. And this is what I want to share with you guys this morning. God will deepen my faith when I remember past victories. Every time I have doubted something in my life, God has shown me past victories. So let's take some recent doubts in my life. Um, there is the doubt that I will be financially stable. Anybody else struggle with that? There's some grumbling out there. Um, if I remember past victories, that doubt kind of melts away. So a few years ago, we trusted God that we were going to buy a new house. We fasted, we prayed about it, we talked to people, we did what we're supposed to do, right? And we felt God was saying, yeah, buy a house. Sweet, we're buying a house. Really nice house. We love our house. We use it for ministry, we use it for our family. It's fantastic. Love our house. Our old house didn't sell. 
okay, well, God wants us to buy this house, so God's going to provide for us and for the old house. There's doubt there, but I'm remembering past victories. I was faithful with small stuff when we had nothing. God blessed our nothing and gave us something. We were faithful with our something, and God blessed our something and gave us more. So I'm trusting God by remembering past victories. We went for a year, a year, paying two house payments, two power bills, two water bills, two trash bills. That was hard. But we were trusting God. You know, that's great. We trusted God. And our house sold. Yay! Our house sold. We have extra money every month. This is fantastic. Okay, Cassie's car's getting old. We've been talking about buying a new one. We have extra money. We talked to people. We prayed about it. We fasted about it. We thought, you know, now's a good time to get the car that Cassie has always wanted. And we felt God was saying, well, yeah. You guys are being smart. You're not cutting back on giving. You're, you're, you're honoring me with what you're doing. Yeah, get the car. So we got Cassie's car. We love the car. The car's awesome. But then some stuff happened. Um, our house payment went up by $200 a month. Solid. Okay. Uh, they screwed up Cassie's paycheck and didn't take out insurance, so we had to pay that. That was $700. Solid. And then some other stuff happened all within three weeks of each other. Whoo, there goes our budget. Okay, so then we're like, oh, were we stupid with buying the car? We're doubting, right? We trusted God. We weren't being stupid about it. Okay, so we remember past victories. It's fine. And we're good. God is taking care of us. God has provided What are What are your past victories that you need to remember? You see, the Israelites had past victories. David had past victories. In 1 Samuel 17, 32 through 37, David remembers his past victories. David said, don't worry about this Philistine. I'll go fight him. You what? Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. He said, when a lion or a bear comes to steal this lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. Baller. I've done this to both lions and bears and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Some translations, by the way, call him an uncircumcised Philistine and I find that funny. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. I feel that and the may the Lord be with you is like, bless your heart. And I'll know if somebody says bless your heart, they're not really blessing your heart. When I was preparing for this lesson, me and Tim were talking about it, and he was listening to a preacher and he got this quote and I, I can't even like claim it as my own because it was so good. And he was telling me about it. And this preacher said, I don't fight for victory. I fight from victory. Yes, you fight to win, right? But what propels you to that victory? I, past victory. I mean, the blues aren't playing the best right now, but this season they played better than average for them, right? Why? Because they know they can do it. They won last year. Yeah! Gloria! Gloria! 
Think about sports teams like that. What, what makes them think they can do it? They've done it before. What makes David think that he can win? He's done it before. He's 15 when he's telling Saul this. About 15. That's a guess. But he's about 15 when he's telling Saul this. That means he was younger when he fought a lion and a bear. Think about a junior high boy for a minute. Do you, are you instilled with great confidence when you think about a junior high boy going up with a stick versus a lion or a bear? I'm a grown man and I will not pick a fight with a lion or a bear. I'm going to be real, especially if all I have is a stick. He says he grabs it by the jaw and bashes it in the head. That might be a little bit of embellishing, but he did something similar to it because he saved the sheep. Right? Baller. I'm going to say baller a lot because that's one of my favorite things to say about it. Dude. He remembers these past victories. And to be fair, I bet Joshua and Caleb remembered past victories too when they were giving this great account about how they can take this land. Because you know what Joshua and Caleb saw? Ten plagues of Egypt. They walked out of Egypt. The Egyptians gave them gold and blessed them as they left. And then they went through the Red Sea on dry ground. And then they got fed bread from heaven. And there was quail. And they got to see all of this stuff happen in the wilderness. And then they go in and they see this beautiful land that God has already told them they're going to have. They're remembering past victories. You have past victories in your life. And when you start doubting, start remembering. Because God has worked in your life. So what do you need to remember? Maybe that's something you need to write down. What do I need to remember? What victory do I need to remember that God has taken care of for me? Number two, if I want to become a person of great faith, God will develop me into a person of great faith. When I surround myself with mighty people, First Samuel 17, 45 through 53. I'm going to skip down uh, to where it says David ran over to Goliath. I don't know what verse that is. I don't have numbers on my notes. But at one point, it says David ran over to Goliath. There it is. David quickly ran out to meet him, reaching into a shepherd's bag and taking out a stone. He hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over, pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph and rushed after the Philistines, chasing them as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. The bodies of the dead and wounded Philistines were strewn all along the road from Shararim as far as Gath and Ekron. Then the Israelite army returned and plundered the deserted Philistine camp. Okay, I got to surround myself with mighty people. David was a mighty person. And when his faith conquered Goliath, the Israelites and the people of Judah rushed. They saw his faith and they were energized. And I don't know about you guys, but when we were little, we would like play fight and pick fights with the neighborhood people and just get into tussles. If you ever started losing, where'd you go? Home. 
right? You ran to your front porch and you sat there like, no, 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 you can't get me here. Gath is where the Philistines are from. The Israelites chased them all the way to the parents' front porch. That's awesome. Just side note, things that show up in my head. It's awesome. David energized them. Joshua had Caleb. Caleb had Joshua. They were a support group. Who surrounds you? Do you have faithless companions or do you have mighty people? All right. I told Caitlin and Andy that I'm about to get really excited. There's a, a book series called The Line of War. If you ever want to read historical fiction about David, it's a great book story. Great, great story. The guy, I forget his name, but the guy who wrote it is a former military officer. Forget where, I want to say army. It could be wrong. And he studied troop movements and the way the army worked in ancient Israel. Cliff Graham, thank you. Cliff Graham's the author. And he studied the way the army worked. And he knows scripture. And he learns the stuff. And so he writes these fictional stories. They're historical fiction, but they're based on fact. How the troops would have worked. And he ties in the Bible stories. And it's all about David and his mighty men. And they're so good. Oh my gosh. I'm, I don't know if you can tell. I'm a little jazzed because I love these stories. In 2 Samuel 23, we get stories of David's mighty men. And I'm going to read this to you guys. It starts at verse 8. These are the names of David's mighty men. Josheb was the captain of the mighty men. He used his spear to kill 800 men at one time. Baller. Next, there was Eleazar, who was there with David when he challenged the Philistines who had gathered for battle. The Israelites ran away, but Eleazar stood and fought the Philistines until his hand became so tired that it cramped around his sword handle. The Lord won a great victory that day. The people of Israel came back, but only to take the things from the dead. Dude's a baller. Again, I'm going to say it. It's going to be awesome. Next, there was Shema. The Philistines came together to fight. They fought in a field of lentils. The people ran away from the Philistines. But Shema stood in the middle of the field and defended it. He defeated the Philistines. The Lord gave Israel a great victory that day. These guys are awesome. Oh my gosh, these guys are so cool. Once, during harvest time, David was at the cave of Adullam. And the three of the thirty mighty men went down to meet him. There, at the same time, the Philistine army was camped at the valley of Rephaim. David was in a fortress, and the group of Philistine soldiers was stationed in Bethlehem. David was thirsty for some water from his hometown, so he said, Oh, if only I had, could drink some water from that well by the gate in Bethlehem. So the three fought their way through the Philistine army and got some water from the well near the city gate in Bethlehem. They took it to David, but he refused to drink it. He poured it on the ground as an offering to the Lord. David said, Lord, I cannot drink this water. 
It would be like drinking the blood of the men who risked their lives for me. This is why David refused to drink the water. The three heroes did many brave things after that. These guys are awesome. Verse 18. Abishai was the brother of Joab. Abishai was the leader of the three. He used his spear against 300 enemies and killed them. He was as famous as the three. He became their leader, even though he was not one of them. Then there was Benaniah. This one's my favorite. He was the son of a powerful man. Benaniah did many brave things. He killed two of the best soldiers in Moab. One day when it was snowing, Benaniah went down into a hole in the ground and killed a lion. Benaniah also killed a big Egyptian soldier. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand and Benaniah only had a club. He grabbed the spear from the Egyptian's hands and took it away from him, then killed the Egyptian with his own spear. He did many more brave things like that. He was as famous as the three heroes. Benaniah was even more famous than the 30 heroes, but he did not become a member of the three. David made him leader of his bodyguards. These guys are epically awesome. There are so many cool stories here. Did you know David's bodyguard that Benaniah was in charge of wasn't Israelites? It was Philistines. That's a side note. That's, and these Philistines were scared of Benaniah. And after that, there's a whole list of the 37 in all mighty men. And the last one's Uriah the Hittite. Just putting that out there. If you know who Uriah is, it's Bathsheba's husband. We can forget. We can forget what God has done. And it doesn't just affect us. David was surrounded with mighty men. David's faith made him a giant. The people Israel were rallied by his faith when he defeated Goliath. Who surrounds you? See, the Bible talks about uh, bad company corrupts good character. Weak faith corrupts strong faith. Strong faith builds up faith. Who do you have surrounding you? Do you have strong Christian people around you that build you up? Are you surrounded by faithless companions? When I'm doubting, I have people around me that will encourage me and will build me up. I need people like David's mighty men. You see, one time, the Philistines were at war with Israel. This is 2 Samuel 21. And David and his mighty men were in the thick of battle. David became weak and exhausted. Ishbi Benob was a descendant of the giants. His bronze spearhead weighed more than seven pounds, and he was armed with a new sword. He had cornered David and was about to kill him. But Abishai came to David's rescue and killed the Philistine. Then David's men declared, you are not going out to battle with us again. Why risk snuffing out the light of Israel? I'm going to stop there. Do you have people that aren't afraid to talk to you? That aren't afraid to tell you the truth? (laughs) David got old and fat. What I read into this. 
He couldn't fight this giant. Side note, it could be a coincidence. I don't believe in coincidences. When David picked up stones to fight Goliath, how many did he pick up? Five. How many did he use? One. He had four left. In this passage, if we keep reading, there are four other giants who are all descended from the same family as Goliath. That David's mighty men take out. David doesn't. There were five giants from the same family Israel had to take out, and God did it with them. They're crazy. Like, listen to this. There was another battle against Philistines at Gob. As they fought, Sibekai killed Saph, another descendant of the giants. During another battle at Gob, Elahan from Bethlehem killed the brother of Goliath. The handle of his spear was as thick as a weaver's beam. Again, I need to figure out what a weaver's beam, how big that is. That's cool. Somebody tell me. In another battle with the Philistines at Gath, they encountered a huge man with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in all, who was also a descendant of the giants. But when he defied and taunted Israel, he was killed by Jonathan, the son of David's brother Shemaiah. These four Philistines were descendants of the giants of Gath, but David and his warriors killed them. There are, when you kill one giant, more are going to pop up. You kill one doubt. Satan doesn't want you to get strong. Satan doesn't want your faith to get deep. He's going to, there's going to be doubt after doubt after doubt. And you need to be surrounded by strong, mighty people. I wanted to say mighty men, but I needed to be politically correct. Mighty people. Look at this. A giant can overcome you, right? But if you're surrounded by more people, it's going to be easier to take out the giant. If you remember your past victories, it's going to be easier to take out the giant. Who surrounds you? Who do you have around you? And if that hasn't got it to you yet, if you still don't think who's around you is important, look at Mark chapter 2. It's not going to be on your screen. Mark chapter 2. Either open up now and look at it or look at it later. In Mark chapter 2, a paralyzed guy is brought before Jesus and he is healed because of the faith of his friends. Not his faith. Not his parents' faith. The friends that brought him, their faith healed him. Who is around you who has a strong faith? Who will help you walk through dark times? Psalm 23 is very possibly written about Goliath. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Think about a giant and his shadow. There's my shadow right here. I don't know if you can see it because it's on the floor and I'm higher. But think about the shadow. A nine-foot-tall dude casts a pretty big shadow, and he's down in the valley of Allah. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Who's with you? God's with you, that's for sure. Who do you have walking with you? If I wanted to become a person of greater faith, God will develop my faith finally when I remember the king I serve. When I remember the king that I serve. I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But you are with me. Psalm 23. Psalm 91, verses 1 through 3 says... 
those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust Him. For He will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. Here we find another shadow. But it's not one you have to fear. It's one you live in. It's one that protects you. It's God's shadow. And notice it says, the shadow of the Almighty. When you translate Almighty, the word that it's translated from is one of my favorite names of God. El Shaddai. The God of the mountains. Mountains are so much bigger than giants. And when I think about this, every time I think about the size of my God, a song pops into my head. God is bigger than the boogeyman. Or the monsters on TV. (sighs) So this week, as I'm praying about this lesson, it was in my head. (sighs) You ever get one of those songs stuck in your head? And you're like, this is a song that doesn't end. Everybody give me a point. Because it's all in your head now. I play a game with a guy at work. We do that. We get songs stuck in each other's head. It's great. But I was praying about it. I'm like, God, I don't want the song stuck in my head. He gave me another song. And I've quoted it up here before, but it's such a good song. It's from King and Country. And it gets it from this passage. Psalm 121, verses 1 through 2. I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And the the quote from the For King Country. I look up to the mountains. Does my strength come from the mountains? No, my strength comes from God who made heaven and earth and the mountains. God is so much bigger than the giants. God, so much bigger than your doubts. He wants you to live doubt free. That's huge. I don't live doubt free. I wish I did. I wish I didn't doubt God. But as I walk, I've found new doubts. But I have people around me. I remember my past victories, but most of all, I remember the king that I serve. He is so great. He is so good. With God's help, we don't have to fear our doubts. We don't have to worry. His burden is light. His yoke is easy. That was, sounds so weird to me when I was growing up. But the more I trust in God, the more I understand that passage. The more I grow in my faith with Jesus, the more I understand what He's doing for me. And for those of you, you're right there with me. As we walk, as we grow, we understand more everything our God is, is doing for us. You see, these, these giants are terrifying and intimidating. But if I trust in God, look what happens in 1 Samuel 17, 48. If I trust in God, I want you to think about this for a minute. Nine foot tall dude walks up to a 15 year old boy. As Goliath moved close to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Quickly ran out to meet him. How crazy is David's faith? He knows his king. He knows who he serves. He ain't afraid of some nine foot tall dude. I mean, look at these giants. 
They're so intimidating compared to us. Some of you are really confused. You think I'm pointing at the wrong shoes. These are the giants. Old, tattered, big. This is us. This is us. This is us. Those giants are intimidating by ourselves. But Mark and Chuck did something this week. They put on Christ. God is so much bigger than our giants. And if we put on Christ, we have a Holy Spirit power. We have somebody else fighting for us. We have this power that can overcome our doubts and our giants. Because we have God with us. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know your doubts. I know me. But I can tell you this. If you haven't put on Christ, if you haven't put on Christ, I'm not calling you little girl shoes. But it's going to be really hard to fight against a giant. Life is so much easier with God fighting with us and for us. Mark and Chuck did that this week. They chose to surrender to God. They chose to put on Christ. And they have this Holy Spirit power to battle their giants. They don't have to worry about which king they're going to serve. They are surrounded by mighty people. They are part of a great cloud of witnesses now. And they have past victories they can remember and rely on. Where are you at? Maybe you're somebody who's forgotten your past victories. Maybe you need to remember your past victories. Maybe you need to start surrounding yourself with mighty people. Maybe you've forgotten the king that you serve. You have an opportunity this morning. We don't do an altar call. We don't ask you to come forward. You can make your decision wherever you are. There's a a communication card in your bulletin. If you aren't a Christian, if you haven't been washed in the waters of baptism, it's right here. Talk to somebody today. You can make a decision today to put on Christ, to fight your giants with Him. If you are a Christian and maybe you've been struggling, talk to your small group leader. By the way, if you're not a part of a small group, there's small groups throughout this church that meet throughout the week. I would not be a strong Christian without my small groups. God has put strong men and women around me to help develop me. They pour into my life so I can pour in others' lives. Maybe you need to remember your past victories. Maybe you need to surround yourself. I don't know, with mighty people. Maybe you just need to remember the king you serve. Maybe you need to make him king. I don't know where you're at. But take time. Fill out that card. We're going to pass baskets. That's a place for you to put the card. If you're a guest here, we did not ask you to come here today so that you would give us something. I hope that you got something today. I hope me being excited, stumbling through words, I hope Jesus spoke to you today. And that... You can rest easy in his shadow, in the shadow of the Almighty. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a song, and then they're going to pass those baskets, and we're going to go about our day. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for being our King. 
for being our Savior and for loving us where we're at. Thank You so much for providing a way for us to find You, to seek You. You are amazing. You're so awesome. I'm so proud. I'm so glad to be Your child. Help us this week to remember You. Help us to remember the victories You've done in our lives. Help us to remember the places You brought us from and look forward to the places You're taking us. Help us as a big family to reflect Your light into this world. Help those of us here who haven't become Christians yet. Help us to look at our lives and weigh the cost, Father. And see what it's going to cost to become Your children because it's so worth it. The things You give up in life to be Your child are way, way worth less than what you receive as being your child. Help us to spread your kingdom. Help us to walk in light of your spirit. I love you. In your name I pray. Amen.